Welcome to The Path and the Practice, a podcast dedicated to sharing the professional origin stories of the attorneys at Foley and Lardner LLP, a full-service law firm with over 1,000 lawyers across the U.S. and abroad. I'm your host, Alexis Robertson, Director of Diversity and Inclusion at Foley. In each episode of this podcast, you'll hear me in conversation with a different Foley attorney. You'll learn about each guest's unique background, path to law school, and path to Foley and Lardner. Essentially, you'll hear the stories you won't find on their professional bios. And of course, you'll learn a bit about their practice. Now, let's get to the episode. This episode features a conversation with Chris Trong. Chris was a summer associate in Foley's Milwaukee office, and during our discussion, he reflects on growing up in Fort Worth, Texas, attending Texas A&M University and the University of Illinois College of Law. A few highlights of Chris's discussion with me are, one, hearing him reflect on his parents' experience immigrating to the U.S. as refugees of the Vietnam War, him talking about his early interest in STEM, including going to various math competitions. He also discusses how it is that he ended up being a biomedical engineer and the years that he worked prior to attending law school. He also gives a little bit of insight into not only what it's like to be a 2L summer associate at Foley, but also shares a bit about his process being a 1L summer, which was also, I'll say, in association with Foley, and that he was a Foley JCI fellow. His 1L summer he spent with Foley client Johnson Controls. So we touch on that. And then, of course, we dive into what is it like to be a summer associate at Foley. I get him to talk about that, and then we end with Chris giving some really wonderful insight on the importance of maximizing the law school experience. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Chris. Chris, welcome to the show. Let's get started by having you give a brief introduction. Hi, Alexis. Thanks for letting me on the show. So I'm Chris Strong. I'm a current, I was about to say 2L. I am a now rising 3L at the University of Illinois College of Law. Originally from Texas, moved around a bit before law school. Now I'm at law school and just spent my time at Foley for the summer and loved it. So here we're I am. gonna talk about all of that. We're gonna we're gonna pull apart everything that you just said. And it's hard. It's hard to remember if someone's a two L or rising three L. And I get that with my kids right now who are going into fifth and seventh grade who are like, no mom, I'm not a fourth grader. I'm not a sixth <laughs> grader. But let's start, let's start somewhat at the beginning, Chris. Where are you from? Where did you grow up? Yes. So I, born and raised Texan, love Texas, was in Dallas for a while growing up, went to college at Texas A&M University. Go Aggies. Whoop. And then after that, as much as I love Texas, I had to really leave. And so I went to Nashville, Tennessee to work as an engineer for a while at um, Phillips Healthcare. And then after a while, I was like, you know, I really like the cold. Well, and I'm going to, I'm going to stop you there because I got to unpack some of that. You said Dallas, but I'm wondering... So what would you claim as your hometown in Texas? Okay. Yeah, where? Perfect. It might anger some people because it's not technically proper Dallas, but I said Dallas. It is Keller, Texas, which is like a northern suburb of Fort Worth, Texas. So if I found you in Keller, Texas, I don't know, late elementary school, early middle school. Yes. What's life for Chris like? What are you into? What are you up to? Let's see. Back then, I kept busy, which is surprising for a little kid, but I was, I kept busy. I was doing, I was playing soccer. I was playing tennis. I was doing swimming. I was really into math and science. So I was doing some math and science competitions on the weekends. So after school, I was doing math and science competition practice. It was a busy life, which I really enjoyed. Didn't realize, don't know how I had that energy back then. Don't think I could do that now, (laughs) but it was a great time. Yeah. Math and science competitions. I get that was your life. It was totally normal. I personally didn't do those things in elementary school. So I do want you to say more because I'm like, so what is what is that? Yeah. So there's this one competition. I think it's just Texas. There's like three different types of math competitions. One is, I don't even know how to explain it because I can't even remember it, but it's just like straight up memorization sometimes of math equations and arithmetic, but sometimes it's just getting an intuitive feeling for math. So you're solving some big math problems. Or Sorry, sometimes I nodded it, at you like I understood no. intuitive feelings in math, and I don't, but, yeah. <laughs> but go on. So it's the intuitive feeling. It's kind of like saying like, you know, if you need to like get 50% of 12, intuitively, after you've done math a while, you know that 50% of 12 is the same as, you know, multiplying 1.2 and 5. And so things like that, you kind of do learn these little math tricks to kind of like do these competitions. And that's what the competition is trying to like test you on is these math tricks. And then the science competition is straight up just memorization of random science facts, 
that I had to learn. So I wish I knew them now. Quiz bowl? Is that a thing? Quiz bowl? I've seen this on TV. (laughs) I've come to mind. So it's similar to that. It's just only math or only science. And so that's what I was doing over the weekends. Yep. So where does this come from? Did you see, like, I mean, I'm assuming you're interested, but are there siblings interested? Are there parents? Like, just tell me about the, the, the ecosystem around of your life at that time. So my dad is an electrical engineer and my mom is a programmer. And so I grew up with a very heavy STEM background. My parents, I think, realized that I really love that stuff from the very early beginnings. So birthdays, Christmas, Anytime I had presents, it was very technological, advanced toys, essentially. And then I have an older brother and older sister, and both of them, they were actually not into STEM at all. So they did not really push my siblings to do that, but they definitely pushed me to do it, and I love that. And so that's kind of where it began, how I found these competitions. I honestly do not remember it. They kind of just, they came out of nowhere around fifth grade. I saw a flyer for it just walking through the hallways, and I was like, that was it. Of course, I've chosen to focus on that. You also said other things about sports and other interests that you had, but that was the thing where I was like, say more, because as you've probably seen, a lot of us, and not to stereotype, but who become lawyers maybe weren't so mathematically inclined. So I couldn't help but want to follow up on that. No, for sure. I get that. I think as I grew up, I've gone less mathematically inclined, which is why I'm becoming an attorney now. <laughs> so. Well, and before we push forward to learn more about you heading into high school and decision-making around college, could you tell me a little bit more about your parents? So you mentioned that they are, I think you said, an engineer and programmer. But yeah, if it's worth just sharing a, a bit more about them. For sure. So I think their life story is so unique. Actually, I don't say it's so unique, but it's so interesting. Um, But so many people went through it. So they're both refugees of the Vietnam War. My dad came in here, came into the U.S., I think, when he was in middle school. My mom, when she was in high school. They're only a couple of years. So they only came to America a couple of years apart. The interesting is like they spent like about about a year, two years of their lives when they're coming to America on a boat, just trying to figure out where they're going. Because when you're a refugee, you don't actually have a destination. You get on the boat. You're, you're and you, fleeing and you're hoping you're there's fleeing. something a lot yeah. better on the other side. And you're hoping a country accepts you. So luckily they both landed in Dallas, in Arlington, Texas. Um, they both went to college there and that's where they met. They got lucky enough to actually have a college education, which I know a lot of refugees, it's a missed opportunity. Were they so. each able to come with other family? And it's funny, I don't, I don't want to understate what you just said either either of us too. So I just want to take a moment, which because you mentioned a year or two on a boat. And I'm also wondering if they were able to come with any other family members. Yes. So luckily when my dad left, I believe my uncle, which is his only brother, his mom, my grandma and his father were able to leave luckily. And so they had their immediate family. Now they had a pretty large like family, like cousins, aunts and uncles. They all kind of end up everywhere. So my dad's family is kind of just actually everywhere in like France and like Spain and all everywhere. My mom, same thing actually. My mom is huge family. I believe it's seven siblings total. Both grandparents were, both my grandparents were also able to leave at the same time. So they got lucky. Their families were not completely split apart. Well, I know a lot of people, it's just like they got every which way. So they got to stick together. I think it also helped that I believe both sides of my family had at least like one aunt or uncle that had already immigrated to the U.S. So it was it was good. They had some sponsorship. I'm not exactly sure how all that works, but yeah. Yeah. Well, that could be a whole other podcast. <laughs> and so I will focus back on you, but I can only imagine the ways in which their experience informs their outlook relating to how they, they parent and what they want for their children. And, and maybe we'll touch on some more of that as we talk about, about your journey. But now take me to high school. So- What's going on in high school? What's the thought process heading into college? Where do you go? All of that stuff. Yes. So in high school, I was playing tennis. I played an instrument. I was in the marching band. I was doing percussion. And then I was still doing my math and science competitions. Not as much because, you know, college prep and all that. So the weird thing is I actually, I went to the public high school in Keller, Texas for about two years. And then my last two years, my junior, senior year, I went to kind of a boarding school that was like an advanced college program. So I, my last two years, I was actually on the campus of the University of North Texas, taking college classes my last two years of high school. 
And you're there full time because you said the words boarding school. So you yes, moved there. Yes. So I essentially moved there. I was like about 30 minutes away from my parents in Keller, Texas. And I was just on campus taking classes with college students full time. So now I think I was that, taking By the way, is that an opportunity? How did that opportunity come to you? I guess is my yes, question. It's a weird, it's technically a public school. Like it's it's operated by the Texas government. It's called the Texas Academy of Math and Science. I'm sure they love me plugging this in now for them. But I love that school. But I don't know how, but my mom figured it out. I think she she might have had like a friend's kid also go to it. And so sophomore year, she's like, do you want to try this? It's focused on math and science. And I already love that. She said you would essentially get two years of your first years of college done by the time you graduate high school. So I was like, let's do it. I will admit I was a little bored in, in Keller High School. So I was like, yeah, do you want something more challenging? Right, for so, the academic challenge. Yes. And so, and you have to apply. So I took the SAT my sophomore year. You had to apply with that, went to rounds of interviews, and then likely got in. And so my last two years were there. I like met so many smart, intelligent people, very similar, honestly, to law school, people who are just highly motivated, especially at 16, and still like some of the greatest friends I have to this day. So it's funny though, because yeah. it's interesting context for me asking about being high school age, planning college. It's almost like, so I was kind of already in college. <laughs> but- <laughs> <laughs> but I needed to then go to college, college. I was in high school, yes, college, yes. I was in college, college. So then what? What's next? Yeah. So I, I mean, obviously I was going to go full blown into some type of STEM. I'm not exactly sure why to where. I wanted to do something that would help people. So like I was thinking, you know, maybe medical school or something, but I wasn't exactly sure. My parents are both engineers. And so I was like, let's just do engineering. I'm a little bit more comfortable with that. So I... Applied to a couple places. I ended up at Texas A&M doing biomedical engineering. And so kind of gave me a dip into the medical side while also the engineering side, which was at that point my pathway. So Was that the two things coming together? Because you mentioned doctor. I mean, yes, you, yes. Doctor, engineer, biomedical yeah. engineer. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Kind of let me have a foot in both ends for a while but until I figured out what I wanted to do. Which is fine. How was how was college after having had the experience that you'd mentioned in high school? Was college challenging? Was it an adjustment at all? What was that like? Yeah. So I think, you know, strangely enough, I think it's pretty similar to other people who came straight from high school. I think the biggest thing was like the maturity and the social aspects is just so drastically different because even at my boarding school, I still had like a curfew that the school implemented. So it's still very, I didn't have total freedom. The coursework, I would say, I think I was a little bit more prepared for, but it didn't really matter because honestly, you know, you come into this college, you have total freedom. And honestly, I probably like did not do as much studying as I should have my first two years of real college. But after a while, I was like, oh, I kind of figured it out. I was like, oh, I actually need to I gotta go to classes. And so not saying I did it. But yeah, so I, I think it was a, still an adjustment. I don't think it was as hard of an adjustment as for some people. I still fell into the whole qualms of like time management and actually figure out all of that. That was still well, that's a problem also what college, it has a lot of expense in some way. Like someone's paying a lot of money, whether or not someone has scholarships or not. But there is, you're, as a student, sometimes you're learning certain classes you can get away with not being there because you read the book. Other classes, <laughs> maybe you do need to show up. In some lessons, you might learn a harder way than others. But it's life with training wheels. I definitely remember in college realizing, worst case scenario, assuming nothing absurd happens, but even if I don't have a penny to my name, but I'm still in this place, this college, I do have food and a place to live. (laughs) So it's basically like, because, you know, you've paid your tuition, you've paid for whatever meal plan. So it's like life with like a weird set of training, training wheels. Yes. Yes. Agree. A lot of cafeteria, like late night going to the cafeteria, but also a lot of frozen food. The first year was a lot of frozen food. My doctor said, your blood pressure is off the charts right now. I was oh, like, that, that's not frozen. That's a lot of high sodium food. Too. I thought, like, yeah, that's so yeah, great probably. food. <laughs> yeah. So what was the thought process in terms of, I'm going to focus on biomedical engineering? What did you want to do with that? I honestly had no idea. I just thought it was such an interesting topic and cons. Like the idea of being able to make prosthetics for people who've lost their limbs or be able to do some stimulation on people's spinal cords and give some mobility back. It was just such an interesting thing. You were helping people in a way that where you didn't have to like interact with them as much, but you had a greater impact for a lot of people. So that's like kind of the goal. I think like just the impact was the reason, but I sometimes that was not enough. And so I, I did go through the coursework. And the thing is, I guess maybe two, three years in, I realized I don't know if I actually wanted to do this. Studying it was interesting. 
I can read a book, I can read articles and research papers, but I don't know if I could do the work. So I explored a little bit more my junior and sophomore, senior year of college. I was thinking about becoming a CPA. I was like, that would be a hard turn. That's a turn right there. It was a hard turn or like a financing, or I looked at consulting. I looked at a lot of stuff. Luckily, like I, I took a business minor class to give me a little bit more variety in my classes. And one of those classes was the business law class. And I just remember that class was so interesting. I can't tell you a single thing I learned in there because it was so long ago. But I just remember when I was there, I was so fully invested in everything I was reading. And I think that kind of set off a spark. And it's completely different, right? Like it's completely different than your other coursework. 100%, 100%. So I think that set a spark just a couple of years before that I realized I wanted to become an attorney. But that was the turn, I think. So, But you did. You didn't switch majors, though. I did not. And you did graduate with a Bachelor's of Science, Biomedical. Engineering, Engineering, yes. Yes, yes. Maybe the listeners know. It's one of those things I'm like, I'm sure the listeners know, but maybe I just don't know. I can hear the words of what that means. And as you were describing it, I was thinking it's this intersection between engineering and science and using science to help people. But is that is that right? What am I missing? You got it, but we can focus on a little bit more. So it was like, it's just like engineering and medical sciences, essentially just helping people take care of themselves, like healthcare wise. So medical devices that anything you see in the hospital is essentially designed and made by an engineer. Yeah. So like anything, any device you can think of that kind of the thermometers that they use during COVID, probably same thing, like all medical devices. And so like things like that I wanted to do, I wasn't exactly sure at the time what I wanted to do with it, but it was a concept that was just very interesting to me at that point. So So. you graduate with that degree, then what happens? Yes. I graduate that degree. I was last semester I was, that was there. I was just trying to figure out like, am I doing this? Am I working or am I getting a master's degree, switching CPA, accountant, something. And so I I was doing this double take of like looking at master's programs, not in engineering, but also like still applying to engineering jobs just to make sure I had a plan. And so luckily I got a job offer in Nashville, Tennessee. I was like, you know what, let's do this. I worked for a couple of years, figure it out. Nashville's fun from what I heard. And so I was like, you know, and plus I honestly, I was like, I was, it's been like 22 years in Texas. Like it's been a good run, but I need to like branch out. Yeah. Yeah, I need to branch out a little more. And so I was like, I'm going to do this and I'll figure out my life when I get to Nashville. And so I, I think I got my job offer like December 24th or 5th or 6th or something. And I was like, just getting on a cruise with my parents and then I come back and I'm like, now we need to move to Nashville. So I packed everything up in like two days after the cruise. And we like drove all the way up to Nashville to move myself there. So. And so you do that for a few years. Where, what's, the, what's the job? Like what, what, yeah, what are you doing? So I was doing kind of like some, I was helping installations of medical imaging equipment. So x-rays, MRIs, those things, those are big machines. You know, you don't just plug and play, put them in an outlet in a hospital and just hope it runs. You know, here's your MRI (laughs) machine. I plugged it in, put people in it, good to go. So there's a lot of work that goes. It takes like a whole year, a lot of money. And so you kind of need like a more technically minded person in the background, kind of just helping make sure all the details are going to fit together because all the systems are all the same, but all the hospitals are not, especially the hospitals that are pretty old. So they're working on very difficult, different electrical systems and support systems at the building. And so that's what I did for about three years. Yeah. So I recently saw a picture of an MRI machine with the cover, essentially. I mean, it's like the panels taken off because I think most of us have an idea of what, you know, the big thing, someone's lying down, they're this like cylindrical thing, the person, but you don't think about all of the electronics, the stuff inside. It was pretty impressive. Yes. And it's it looks kind of intimidating because there's a lot of circuitry. It's a huge magnet that's cylindrical, essentially. And it's weird because if you don't have the cover, I would never, you wouldn't willingly put a person in that. I was I like, know, I'm not going to go in that. I saw a picture. I wasn't like standing. But, and I mean, it's so funny. You said all this great stuff about all the education. And I'm like, I once saw a photo of that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But you mentioned the seed had been planted during this business lock course. So is it while working in Nashville that you start thinking again about maybe law school? Where does that, where does that start to happen or when? 
Yes. So I was working for a couple of years, about, I think about a year in, I got comfortable enough in my job to where I could kind of focus on some other things in my life. And so while I was working still, I was like, oh, revisit medical school, maybe. So I was looking into that. So I actually did take my MCAT during my undergrad, just as a backup. I was like, if I need to use this course later, I have it. So I was like, maybe I go to medical school. Thought about it. My parents' friends are doctors, so like I've shadowed them a bit. And honestly, I was like, I don't know if I could deal with patients in and out. It's like a hard, grueling life <laughs> with that. And honestly, patients are difficult sometimes. And I was like, I don't know if I could handle being friendly all the time. <laughs> like if it gets difficult like that. So, and it's a hard thing. Like you're sometimes giving bad news. And I was like, that's very, like it takes a lot of emotional durability and strength for to get through that and to do that for other people too. So I was like, you know, I think my efforts are better placed in other fields. How did this all start? How did I begin to law school? I, <laughs> and I'm like, you went, but no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, it, it went so quick. I don't know. It's all, you know what? COVID has happened. That's what happened. COVID happened. And a so little I was, thing called a global yeah, pandemic. Got yeah, it. Yeah, that little thing. And so I was working from home a lot. And that's when I realized, oh, I'm not having fun at my job as much at all. The reason why, and I realized the reason why I was, I loved my job so much at the point was because my team that I worked with, I got to see them every day in the office. They were very fun people, intelligent people. And and now that I don't see them anymore. So I was like, there needs to be a change. So I crossed off medical school or anything in the healthcare provider space, to be honestly. I actually thought it was, the plan was to actually get my master's in engineering because my company was willing to pay for it and then become a patent agent because I had thought about being a patent agent before. I talked to an attorney who has his own IP practice in Dallas. And he oh, said- when did, that, when did that happen? Was that an undergrad? That was during- uh, Oh, while you're um, working in- Yeah, I was, yeah, I was- Got yeah, it, okay. Yeah, so I I was already thinking about that, or I was thinking about that during COVID. And I talked to a attorney who has his own IP practice in Dallas during COVID. And he's like, if you're already thinking about being a patent agent, let's skip this whole process. Cut out those five, six years that it's going to take you to get your master's, become a patent agent. Just go to, go to law school because that's three years and you're automatically there. And I was like, that makes so much more sense. And so let's do this law school thing then. And so during COVID, it was perfect because I was not going anywhere. So after work, I'd be studying for the LSAT. Just, and I took it then and yeah. It all but this out. is the origin story of yes. each IP lawyer has their own <laughs> origin story and a similar, similar arc because the thing is most people, and there's obviously exceptions, but most people who have a STEM background usually didn't go being like, and then I'm going to go to law school and be an intellectual property lawyer. There's something else that happens where either they hear about the career path later on, or they worked for a while, or they got their master's and then realized I don't want to be, I mean, whatever it is, research or in the lab or whatever the equivalent is for that given path. And then like the patent thing comes up. So that was the inflection point for you was yes. running into this person who's like short circuit, all that, go to law school. You're like, yep, I'm going to do it. Okay. So then it's during a pandemic, you're studying for the LSAT, you do that. And I don't want to just like breeze through studying for the LSAT because there might be somebody listening who that could be useful for. But I'm trying to get you to law school, obviously. <laughs> how did you decide? Like, how'd you figure out where to go to law school? Honestly, I didn't I didn't know where exactly. I didn't, But I was pretty open to moving. I When I had moved to Nashville, I had a really good time in Nashville. Not to pat myself on the back, but I think I'm pretty good at making friends in a new environment. So I had you know, a good support, really support system. Yeah, yeah. A support system in Nashville. I was like, I think I could do this in another city. But I also wasn't close to moving back to Texas where my family was. So I, when I was applying, I kind of just, honestly, I split up the country in like four or five different regions. And I plucked like three schools from each region and kind of just applied everywhere. And so how, how do you end up in Illinois? Yeah, so I... Honestly, this is my school, College of Law, University of Illinois. I did not even apply to them my first round. I first round of sending out applications. I didn't know the school existed. I don't know how I figured it out, but someone was like, you should go here. If you're even thinking about the Chicago market or like Midwest in general, it's a great school. But I never even heard of the school. So I think I applied. This is probably the last school I applied to. And luckily I got in. And luckily, like they were very generous with their student aid and financial package. So I was like, this might be an opportunity to kind of like go to law school while still saving up a little bit of money on the side or not 
completely breaking bank. <laughs> and so I looked That's at real. all the schools. That's yeah. real. I know we say that, yeah. like you're saying a little yeah. bit hesitantly, a little hesitantly, a little bit haltingly, but the reality of that, that is extremely real. And there's all sorts of things that motivate where people decide, whether it be financial or family, that I think it's important. Yes, that makes sense to me. I get it. Yeah. And and that's the thing is like, I had figured out I wanted to go to law school in the middle of COVID. And then from figuring that out to actually applying and getting into school was only a year. So I did not save up that much money for my job because I had no plans until then. And so I was like, you know, I need to make this like economical. It's either I go back to Texas, I can stay with family and cut some costs there, or I go to University of Illinois and they gave me a pretty generous package in a pretty low cost of living area. So I was like, all right, let's do that. I still kind of like my winters. I'm not ready to be back in Texas yet. So well, you just said this a lot, you know, for someone who's in <laughs> Chicago, the whole like year, I'm like, you like this? Because we don't even like this in like February, January, February, March. We don't like this. Also, something I've noticed over the years about students from the University of Illinois College of Law is there's a really strong, I think, connections between the students. I don't know if you've lived that at all, if that's, if, but I've just, I've noticed this over the last decade and a half that when I meet one student who went there, they all know each other, at least in Chicago. Yes. <laughs> and all still hang out. And I mean, I think it's really a testament to the school and the culture they create. Yes. This is my theory. You go to a college town where the whole town, both cities, Urbana and Champaign, are centered around the school. And honestly, there is nothing else to do there. That's but makes you, you very tight knit. Yes. yes. University of Illinois. And then you go to college. So it's already, you're pretty isolated already. And then you go to law school of all places where your, it's that one L year is is tough. So I think honestly, there's some like trauma bonding supplement to it. <laughs> and you're like, and we can't go anywhere else. And we and can't go all, anywhere else. We're all best friends. Yeah. So. yeah. so that's what happens. So I will say, I everyone I've met there has been so amazing, and I, yeah, it's like it's like people I know I'll be lifelong friends with and have connections. And I'll with, tell so. you, I think you will based on all the other graduates I know from your law school. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, uh, so what it say more though about you start law school at that point you'd been out of school for like three or so years maybe more what was that like what was the adjustment to law school like for you you know it's weird because I didn't know actually many like law students at that time or lawyers young lawyers and so like my friends had some attorney friends who've been out of the, you know they've been out in practice for a while so I asked them but I realized like their advice is a little it's, it's like been a, it's been a few years. Yeah, yeah, law schools changed so much, and so I was like, I need to get a little bit a younger demographic to survey. And I went on Reddit, which is advice right now. Mistake: Do not go on Reddit for any law, like law school advice. I wouldn't say it's the worst advice ever, but it is the most stereotypical advice that you get. That when people think of law students. You may, maybe it's lacking in some nuance. So I find yes, it fascinating. Yes. Like, of course, Reddit's yes. a resource, but the where students are seeking advice has changed over the years. But I, I do think Reddit's a really big one. Yes. Well, so that's the thing. Some things I was like, simple things like where to get textbooks and things like that was perfect. But more things were about like, oh, you should study this way or you should do this with your professors or you should behave like this in college or like in law school. I was like, this is like extreme advice. I was like, and like you said, there is no nuance on those. Well, on those and people get words. very like, yes. this is how it is. It's very black or white. There's actually, I mean, it's a super not useful for anyone, but I'm going to say it anyway. There's an account on TikTok where what the guy does, a lot of his content is typical Redditor walks into say a coffee shop getting his oil changed or like, and you can just imagine what the conversation's like, because it's not how we speak in real life, right? It's very, like, definitive. Like, I can understand that. But so you get a little insight. You get some. I get a little of that. As to what law school is going to be like versus how it yes. actually is. Yeah. Made me a little crazy at first, the advice on Reddit. So I blocked it. And then I just came into law school. I was like, you know, we're going to take it in strides. We'll figure it out, find a good, solid group of people I can, like, kind of just study with and interact with. And so, you know, I think I honestly just came in with, like, fresh eyes. And, like, I didn't want to, like close myself off to any different studying habits or like ways to move around law school. So, and I will admit, I think the studying part was probably what scared me the most, especially being out of school for a while. LSAT studying, yes. But then studying full time as your job, essentially, again, was a little daunting to me because I had not done that for about three and a half years. So. 
Well, and what about the adjustment that, because you were, I don't know what it's like being a biomedical engineering undergrad or what the coursework is like. How was it adjusting to law school style of coursework versus undergrad? Yes, that, I think that is so difficult. I will say this. I think the rigor of the coursework was honestly pretty similar to my engineering undergrad studying, but the type of material I was looking at was was hard. I just remember looking at my first case law ever, and I was like, this is a wall of text. Like, this makes no sense. I could read a research paper easily with the notes, and I was looking at this, this makes no sense. And honestly, now I look at the case, and I was like, this is easy, and I can't look at a research paper anymore. Now this looks like, a, I think it's just different languages. Yeah. How do you adapt? <sighs> you know, for a while, probably the most inefficient way, which was like read every single word, which is what I did <laughs> by 1L. And I think that you waste a lot of time, but I think for a person who just did not know how to do it well yet, I did it just to make sure I didn't miss anything. So I, I read every single word in a ca- every case law I had my first year. And while I was doing that, I was taking notes, trying to figure out what worked best for me. I kind of changed up my studying habits and my my note taking like the first like three months every week because I was I couldn't figure out the sweet spot as to what like worked for me. I've luckily did find something during my first semester so that I after the last half semester, I kind of just did that. And that's that. the perfect time to find it. Because yeah. I mean, yes. a lot of people actually don't find it until later that first year. So first semester is a little bit rough. Yes. I mean, my advice is like, don't do everything you did during undergrad. Like there probably might be better improved ways to study and just to try everything at first. And it might be hard to do that because you're switching it up so much. But I think once you find what really works for you, like it works. Well, and the ask questions and the, like, yes. or talk to professors or talk to other law students. But yes. also, and my big thing is you still learn how you learn. And I do think people, and I'm sure Reddit does this, but it can <laughs> seem very prescriptive. Like you're a law student now, so you're supposed to do it this way. Yes. And that may not be the way for you. Like, believe it or not, and this might sound like blasphemy, outlining or whatever it is, that might not be how you learn. Yes. Might not. Agreed. I'll say this. I'm a notorious outliner. I like to outline my whole classes from start to finish. Like, I don't usually like look at my other friends' outlines and like kind of squish them together. I know some people like to like split it up and then combine them. I can't do that. I need to write every single well, part of my outline. Synth- it's the synthesis yes. of the information. Yes. That's how you're, that's how you're learning. Yes. Exactly. Yes. Okay. So, you know, IP, I'm guessing. Yes. Starting law school, I'm assuming this Hopefully. is be your path. Yes. So you take me to the right spot, but part of me is in the like, well, where does Foley come onto the scene? And yeah. yeah. Tell me more. Yeah. So I kind of already knew that I wanted to do IP coming in. I'll admit the first semester in law school, I learned so many different areas of law that I was like, maybe I don't do IP. because do I? Right. Yeah. Law is just, it's just so interesting. But I was like, you know, like, let's just stay the course for now, figure it out. And I actually got a mentor from LCLD. Which, which is the Leadership I, Council on Legal Diversity. Yes. Yeah, and they run. Thank you. They are, I don't actually know if they're technically a nonprofit. They might be, but they're an organization focused on promoting diversity in the law. And they have a couple of flagship things they do, which is actually their fellows program, which is for those who are like eight to 10 years out, but also an LCLD scholars, like for law students and summer associates and whatnot. And I'm like, go to lcld.whatever it is. I don't know if it's even.com if you want to learn more, <laughs> but, oh, but, yeah. Chris, go on, but Chris, go on. <laughs> Yes, yes. Yeah, so I don't know how I found this resource because like I just did. And then I was like, all right, let's try this. I signed up for a mentor and my mentor that I got, she is a lawyer in Chicago in IP in the space that I wanted. We met a couple of times my first semester there. And she was like, if you hit the ground running in, in applications for your 1L summer, you will get a job. But there's opportunities. Yes, opportunity, especially for IP folks, because it. she's like, you know, firms love to hire IP folks, they're 1L. And I was like, all right, let's do this. And so I, right after I took my finals my first semester, I was sending out applications like crazy because I had already polished my resume and cover letter and all that a couple of weeks before with my counselor. And so I was just, those two weeks before New Year's, I was just sending out applications Luckily, Foley being one of the first ones to actually respond very quickly, too. I was like, did not take a break at all. I think I heard from y'all like right after New Year's. So I had my screener and it was an interesting program because I got to work my first 1L summer at JCI, which is Johnson Controls. And then my next summer, which is this past summer, I spent my time at Foley. And it was such an interesting concept because most of the opportunities were not like that. It's usually you spend five weeks 
at a in-house opportunity and then five weeks at a firm. But this one was a full 10 weeks at each. And I was like, this is actually a really interesting thing because I, I was thinking about like, you know, maybe later in my career, I would want to go in-house anyway. So it'd be good to get that experience now to see if I even want to do that. So. And I'm going to guess, I could be wrong. I'm going to guess yes. that it was Steve Funderic on the recruiting team because he does all of our IP recruiting. And I love giving Steve shout outs on the show. So I have to yes. say his name and that we get your materials see your background, see your interest. We do this partnership program with Johnson Controls. And so I'm certain it was like, Chris, thanks so much for applying. This is great. Would you be interested in this thing that we do? And 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 you were. And yeah, we get you to spend a summer with JCI and then come back to spend a summer with us. There's other firms who do similar things. Neither, like you said, maybe they split it or it's five and five, but definitely I'll partner with clients, especially... And not to say there's this massive proliferation of client partnerships in the IP space, but it's especially the backgrounds make it even harder to find the right folks who could do it. So for those who are IP or those just curious what the landscape is, it is a little bit different when you're Mm -hmm. intellectual property focused because otherwise, so for those who aren't IP like myself, like at least that's how (laughs) I, who are in the boat I was in, I wouldn't have had that technical expertise. And so it makes finding a 1L summer associate or summer gig that's re- even related to a law firm, a little bit trickier. Not yes. to say you can't do it, but everything you just said with timeline stands. Yes. The yes. earlier you could start connecting, the better, the more opportunity there is. So that's just a really good tidbit. Yes. Agreed. Shout out to Steve. I think when I started this process with him, I probably emailed him too many times and I was like, oh no, Steve's not going to like me after this, <laughs> but I will have a job. So um, it's like trade-offs, but no, no, it was great. Steve was so helpful throughout every single process. And my process was especially long because I had my screener with Steve. Then he kind of pushed me to the next stage, which I cannot remember if it was with one or two attorneys, but after that, I had two other interviews. So I had one interview where I was doing about, I would think I met with four or five attorneys in-house at JCI and then four or five attorneys in-house at Foley. And so like my process just took way longer than most. There were a lot of people to talk to. Yes. <laughs> yes. And Steve was so helpful throughout that. And it is, it is a long process, but Foley went quick with it. I did all of that, I think before January ended. And so I think by the time they gave me an offer, I didn't even heard back from most places. And so it happened also quickly. Kudos, kudos to Foley and to the yeah. folks at GCI. Well, here's yes. what I would love to do. I'd love to hear a little bit about your experience at Johnson Controls. Yes. yes. And then let's move on to the summer because when this podcast is going to come out, a lot of people who listen are going to be the ones who are like, do I want to join Foley for my 2L summer associate? So I definitely want to make sure we spend some time there. But also knowing that I'll say our clients slash colleagues, peers, whatever you want to call it at JCI, I'd probably be also curious just to hear yes. <laughs> how that experience was for you. Yeah. So JCI is such a different beast than Foley. And it is interesting because their legal department is so big for like an in-house company. And so they had luckily two other legal interns there with me who were just working on their non-IP legal work with other people. And then I would just focus on their legal work, obviously. And so I came in, I think the whole program, it starts at the same time as Foley and ends at the same time as Foley. So I came in at the same time, got to still meet everyone in the legal department, whether regardless if they were IP or non-IP. And so it was a good experience just seeing how, what other parts of the legal department in-house need to actually exist for the whole company to work. And it was really interesting because it seems like JCI had made a decision a long time ago to really start bolstering and amping up their intellectual property like work. And so there was a lot of moving parts and things going on. I got to meet a lot of people, see behind the scenes a bit, saw a lot of their compliance and their employee benefits, you know, just a lot of things. And I was like, things that I was like, I didn't really think you would need this, but this makes sense now to have to make sure your company actually just works normally, right? So it was a good, very interesting process. Um, And then I got to work with some JCI folks during that summer also on IP work, like writing Yeah, so you're really getting the exposure to the full, like you're focusing on the IP, but you're getting exposure to how in-house works within a really large in-house team. And that's something I have not done. Like I've worked at a number of law firms, I've helped lawyers find jobs, I've I think I probably place lawyers in in-house jobs. I'm like, now I can't remember. But having seen it firsthand, I have not. And it gives a different perspective when you work for the law firm because you like really have a concrete idea of who the client is. 
A little bit of an insight into what life is like. I think you said you get to see behind the curtain. That's exactly yes. Yes. That's exactly right. And JCI, there's a lot more to it, but I will say technology company. And you now that I say their their name, people are going to see little like Johnson Controls, like trucks <laughs> <laughs> yes. driving around the country. But they definitely, based on what they do, have intellectual property needs. Yes. So it makes a ton of sense that you got to do that with them. Yes, they're everywhere. I did not honestly know what JCI was until I got there either. And I realized, like you said, they are everywhere. And I'm like, in every building you can think of, they're there. So it's it is a great experience being there. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. So you do that, and then you come and you join Foley as a 2L summer associate. What was and you just finished last week? Was the end of our summer program? Tell me about it. What was it like? And it what is, office were you in, and all that? Like, give us all the background info. Yes. So JCI is based in Milwaukee, and so. I was like, I loved my time in Milwaukee. So we're going back to Milwaukee for Foley. And so I was at Milwaukee for Foley this summer and I loved it. It was so different because I think when I was at JCI, there was like a ramp up period at Foley. I just felt like I was just on a train and I just, we just went. And so there was a lot of things happening, you know, a lot of social events, a lot of work being kind of just tossed around, like that I would just be grabbing. And it's crazy to me that it just ended because I felt like I just got there. Oh, it goes by so fast. Yes, yes. So- but I don't know. It's just it's just so different. Also, like being able to work for different clients now, it was very different than working in-house where I was like, I know who I'm working for personally and I know what they want versus with different clients, you're always adjusting and always adapting to what the client needs are for. Well, I'm going to say something, and it's not so much a question, but you might have some reflections based on what I'm saying. Because I'm thinking about law students who are just like, well, what's it like to be a summer associate? And and frankly, there can be a lot of nerves around it. There's Mm -hmm. the nerves of, will I get this opportunity? Okay, I got the opportunity. Now I want to keep it and I want to do well and I want to get an offer at the end. But I think just to give a little bit more context, and this is not every big law firm, but I'll say this is Foley. If we bring you in as a summer, it's because we believe that you're going to do well and that we're going to hire you at the end, right? It's not a like Hunger Games, <laughs> like you know, like we have three offers and there's ten summers and now we have to figure this out. But it's also, and the recruiting team is so thoughtful about this. We really want you to get to know us because when you come back as an associate, yeah, of course there's still time to get to know people, but not as much time, right? There's going to be far more emphasis on the billable hour and all the the client needs. Whereas the summer, yeah, we want you to do the work. We want you to learn. We want you to know what it's like, but we really want you to get to know us. And so when you were saying, it's kind of like we hit the ground running, there's work when there's things to do. That's what the social things are. It's not just so that you really like us and come back. Sure, that's part of it. But it's so that when you come back for you, Chris, you've met maybe all of the people, ideally all the people in IP, so that you have a sense of, I really enjoyed working with so-and-so. I hope I can work with them again. And it's so there's actually a little bit more to it. And it's not just us being like, is Chris good enough? Are we going to... No, no. It's Chris, (laughs) get to know us so that you can have an even better experience when you come back because you have a sense of who we are and who you'd like to work with. Yes. Agreed with all that. I think there's just so many opportunities in the summer program to get to know everyone. Like you're fellow summer associates, which I was told when first coming, is like, make sure that your summer associate class is like super tight. There'll be your support system, you know, regardless if you see them every day when you become full-time, going to be a support system. You guys are coming in at the same time, same stages of life. And so I was like, all right, you guys, so you a lot of opportunities to, to meet them, to meet the other associates that you're working with, the partners that you'll most likely be working with. You know, I was, I think I was sitting in between two partners. And so I was like, got to know them really well. Just said hi and bye to them. We shared a thermostat. So, you know, that's a pretty close bonding experience. And honestly, yeah. and honestly, the thermostat's probably made by Johnson Controls. But anyway, I keep going. <laughs> it, is, it was. <laughs> I checked the first day. I was like, yep, Johnson Controls. But yeah, so it was it was really good. And I think that's what I heard the whole time. I was like, we know you can do the work already. We want to make sure you could do the work while you work with us. Like, we want to know, make sure that we all can be in the same space and have fun and also do good work together for years on end. So like, that was kind of what I was looking for. I was or thinking about when I was coming to the summer, I was like, I want to meet as many people as possible, whether they are going to be people I even do work with. So I, I took every opportunity I could to meet some people outside of my IP department. Everyone's been just so friendly. And it's so obvious that Foley is a Midwestern firm because like, I'm like, wow, these people are like 
so nice, like so nice, like just people like I would love to be neighbors with, like honestly. So I was like, I do think I think culturally and honestly being really people forward. It's funny though because in case you didn't know, in case listeners didn't know. Maybe we're trying to de-emphasize some of our Milwaukee <laughs> roots because for those on the coast, that might not sound as appealing. So things like Milwaukee's our founding office, right? I'm not going to yes. call it our headquarters. But is there an, an ethos due to you know the history of the firm? And Absolutely. I think that's what you're saying is absolutely right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. And also something you said earlier about you really started reflecting on your career path when COVID hit because you'd mm-hmm. been used to, you realized how much you really appreciated your colleagues. Yes. I think that's, you know, that comes up again because that's a, that should be important to everyone, but just based on what you said earlier, I know it's especially important to you. So yes. I think it's profound that you're like, and I'm, I'm getting good vibes. <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> yes. I, I realized that like, I just put value in my work environment. And so I'm okay with going in law office, just working and, you know, checking out afterwards, right? That's perfectly fine. But it'd be even better if I could work with people I really liked. And every once in a while after work, if we're all free to actually be together as not just as coworkers, but just as genuine like friends. And so that's a real, it's tough to assess with law firms because to a certain extent, the work that we do, I'll call it within the AMLAW 50. And there's some, there's obviously differentiators in some respects, but a lot of the work is a, com- it's a commodity, right? I mean, mm-hmm. lots of firms do IP work. Now, Jeff Gunderson, who's the head of our IP department, would say we're the best and we're the most full service <laughs> and we're the best place to do it. I want to be very clear. But there's other places where you can go that prosecute patents or that litigate patent yes. disputes or whatever it is. So some of the things are gonna, that are going to really be standout in your life are really who you're doing it with. Yes. And all these law firms sound the same and our websites look similar, but we we are actually different. And that is what, when you're interviewing for the students heading into on-campus interviews. And then also, yeah, when you come with that to us as a summer, like you're mostly promised, but still learn more. And as we start to wind down, Chris, one thing I'll say is I've had the occasion more than once to tell a summer they needed to chill out a bit. <laughs> and not because the work doesn't matter. Certainly do your best work. But if you find that the work is to the point where you are feeling that you have to miss the functions, that's when I'm the first to be like, oh, you're doing it wrong. Yes, you should be yes. doing what you need to do, but still able to attend all these things because we've, we've planned them for a reason. 100%. I think, especially as a summer, the work is important to get, but it, it almost comes second to making sure that you like and can work with the people that you're going to work with. So like those opportunities are a lot more important, especially during your summer. Well, and yes. can I just add in, because you mentioned how you realize it's important the people you work with. Also Milwaukee, yeah. you're in a beautiful space and that doesn't hurt yes. either. Yes. <laughs> yes. I worked about 10 minutes from the office this summer. So I walked every day and I got to walk along the lake and it was beautiful. Some days are a little too humid for me, but it was beautiful. And Milwaukee is a great city. I have not spent a winter there yet, and people are telling me to brace myself. So I'm a little, I'm prepared, but I'm not expecting the worst yet. So this is where there's you have two options. You have two options. <laughs> Synthetic fabrics will save your life, like okay. some engineered Gore-Tex, whatever. Yes. Or for people, and I'm not trying to go to make any like animal welfare anybody, but or things that are made of natural things. <laughs> Okay. So, Perfect. So that's where people are either like something engineered or something mm-hmm. fur based. And, and I probably shouldn't say that. So I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> that's the Chicago. But I just, the, the difference is when people come and they'll get, they'll bring jackets that I'm like, oh, that's not a real coat you're wearing. Like you thought we were just doing cute. Like, no, we're doing save your life. Like it's zero <laughs> right now. And it might only be zero for a couple of weeks. Generally, it's kind of like 20s, 30s wind chill factor, but mm-hmm. we're dressing to stay warm. We're not dressing because oh, it's fall and it's 52 and I really wanted to wear a coat for a week. Yes. No, no, no. This is actually life-saving stuff. <laughs> I, I said turn off anybody who's considering the Midwest. I'm sorry. Recruiting's like, that was yeah. helpful, Alexis, until it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> I will say this. When I first moved to the Midwest, I did romanticize the winter of probably too much because the only time I've ever seen snow was like during vacation. So I was like- Yeah, so you romanticize yeah. like October, fall. Yeah. Like, it's into November. This is cute. There's some snowflakes. You don't, nobody romanticizes when it's super, super cold. But anyway, <laughs> switching gears as we as we do start to wind down, my two last substantive questions for you. One, is there something you wanted to touch on that you haven't? And then after that, switching to the overarching advice for that law student, either navigating law school or navigating finding a job. 
I don't know. I feel like I've kind of laid out my whole life already. That's Obviously, excellent. Yeah, I think I've laid out my whole life. There's, I mean, I'm probably missing some things, but it's it's been a good life so far. It's been very crowded. So I know I don't think I need to. I think we touched on everything. Yeah. Advice. Advice. I say, honestly, do everything you can. Even if you don't know if you're going to like it, do everything you can in law school. I knew I was going to come into IP. And, you know, I took all these IP classes already, but like now I'm taking all these classes just kind of seem interesting and they're not intellectual property related at all. And then also even with that, Milwaukee. Milwaukee was not on my radar when I first was applying to law firms. Didn't realize it was a city. Barely knew where Wisconsin was, honestly. What is the Wisconsin? Yeah, what is that? (laughs) But I was talking to my mentor at the time and she's like, you know, like if you just want to stay in the Middle West and you don't really care where you go, like here's some other cities you can look at. And that's what I, that's what I did. I looked at other cities. I was like, I think I could live here. Took a trip. I took a small little weekend trip up to Milwaukee just to make sure during law school and loved it. And so I think just being very open to different experiences and opportunities will really get you far. And that's what I've realize too, a lot of attorneys I'm talking to now, or even my professors, their careers have been so rich because they kind of just kept, anytime something came up, they're like, yes, let's do it. I think that's tremendous advice about trying everything. And I mean, it doesn't feel leisurely in law school, but to some extent, certain things are when you're just like, oh, look, they've invited a federal district court judge. Like I should go listen. Yes, you should. Yes. Because that's not always going to happen. And then also, like you said, recognizing that Career paths are interesting. And we set out with our best intentions, but certain things just come up and it's about saying yes to them. So I love that advice. Chris, thank you so much for being on the show. And say, if people want to reach out to you with comments or questions, is it okay if they find you on LinkedIn? For sure. Yes. Hit me up on LinkedIn if you have any questions or just want to talk. That's perfectly fine with me. All right. I hope people do that. And thank you so much, Chris. All right. Thank you so much, Alexis. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to The Path and the Practice. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and join us again next time. And if you did enjoy it, please share it, subscribe, and leave us a review as your feedback on the podcast is important to us. Also, please note that this podcast may be considered attorney advertising and is made available by Foley and Lardner LLP for informational purposes only. This podcast does not create an attorney-client relationship. Any opinions expressed herein do not necessarily reflect the views of Foley and Lardner, LLP, its partners, or its clients. Additionally, this podcast is not meant to convey the firm's legal position on behalf of any client, nor is it intended to convey specific legal advice.